morning, everyone. I trust that many of you had a wonderful Christmas. Friends and family, more importantly, as we discussed last week, focused on a son's inheritance. Some of you uh, may even be having some Christmas going on again today, maybe even in the early part of this week. That said, our message today will not be a quote-unquote Christmas type of message, but I mentioned this to the first service, it will certainly be focused on Christ. Amen? And that's a good message any day of the year, huh? If you take your Bibles and open them to 1 John chapter 3, we're returning to our series in 1 John. Just a little reminder, next week we'll take another break as we have communion coming up next week and it will be John's last Sunday with us. We hope that many of you will come and enjoy that time of uh, celebration and fellowship for a new season of life for the Frenches. But he'll be leading us in communion next week, and then after that, we'll return back to 1 John. But for today, 1 John chapter 3, the title of today's message is A Contradiction of Faith. What is a contradiction? Most of us understand that term. Webster's Dictionary defines the term as a difference or disagreement between two things, which means that both cannot be true. What about a similar word, an oxymoron? That word is commonly understood as combining two contradictory words. For example, like cruel kindness or deceptively honest. These in and of themselves would be labeled as oxymorons. Whichever term we use, they both communicate incompatibility. They don't coexist. They don't work together. Like oil and water, or darkness and light, logic dictates our commitment to reject them. In philosophy, some of you are probably more enjoy that topic than others. It's called the law of non-contradiction. As for unbelievers, their lives are comprised of contradiction. They, in essence, rob from the Christian worldview in order to support their morality and reason. And yet, Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If the unbeliever rejects the only source of wisdom and knowledge, their life of morality and reason is fundamentally a contradiction. The late Christian apologist Cornelius Van Til stated that The unbeliever can count. They understand what one plus one equals two. But they can't account for how to count. If that knowledge, if that morality, if that reason is not anchored in Christ. Now, as for us, as believers, our lives are indeed anchored in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. 
And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That said, there are times where we exemplify contradiction. We fall victim to it. Now, that's not our practice, as we've seen throughout 1 John. We practice righteousness. We do not practice sin. Nevertheless, we strive by God's grace to fight against these sinful practices or beliefs. Any type of contradiction in our life. In our passage this morning, we're going to see John write, in order to warn these churches in Asia Minor of falling into this trap. Previously, we've seen John warn them of theological contradictions. We discussed that when it comes to the heresy of Gnosticism and their rejection of Christ's humanity or their desire to take for granted a life of holiness. In this section, John's more concerned with moral contradictions, and that's what we'll see throughout. The theme of this passage is bold, direct, and black and white. John wants these dear friends to know that the children of the devil practice sin. Harsh words. Yet, don't forget what he just previously reminded them of, true believers. He reminded them to take special notice of this sanctifying love that the Father had bestowed on them. Be that as it may, he was still concerned with them being led astray. False teachers, as we've seen, were promoting a special knowledge, a higher knowledge outside of Scripture. They were denying the humanity of Christ. As we just alluded to, they were taking for granted a life committed and devoted to living for God in holiness. They lived reckless. They lived carefree. This morning, I want us to answer the question, what does a contradiction of faith look like? We'll look at three contradictions, which in turn should challenge us, I believe, in two primary points of application throughout. As we look at the contradictions, I want us to reflect upon these points of application as well. As we work our way through, that will be key for us. The first point of application, separate of the contradictions, still in my introduction, although... Those of us who are born-again believers do not practice a life of contradiction. A passage such as this should drive us to hate sin even more. To not live any part of our life with a contradiction. All the while understanding at times, we do so. We fall into that trap. And then secondly, don't be deceived. We'll speak more of that in the passage. Children of the devil practice sin. We cannot, and here's the application, and we'll see more as we get throughout the message. We cannot allow 
our emotions for people to be clouded by the reality of what Scripture teaches. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is a contradiction of faith. With that said, would you stand with me, please, as we read our passage. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his word. Our first contradiction is, number one, the contradiction of lawlessness. And we'll see this in verses 4 through 6. It goes without being said that faith and sin ultimately do not mix. We all understand that every day we sin, unfortunately. We wrestle with the flesh. But ultimately, they don't mix. They're a contradiction at the core. Paul in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, stated that whatever is not of faith is sin. That said, if we wanted to define sin at its foundational level, clearly verse 4 helps us to do so. As you look at verse 4, you can see that this word lawlessness is key. The word carries the sense of being in open rebellion and defiance against God's laws. It's so much more than the common, and I might add appropriate, definition of sin when people say that it's missing the mark. That's appropriate, but it involves so much more. And this word lawlessness helps us to see that. It's a refusal to obey the laws that God has established. What's more, when it comes to practicing or committing lawlessness, there are only two other times in Scripture that we see these two words together. And listen to what Scripture entails when it comes to committing or practicing lawlessness. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 reads, 
the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now both of these passages in our passage here today speak directly to judgment, speak directly to hell. What does a contradiction of faith look like? A life that openly and habitually and fearlessly lives as if there's no divinely established laws. Not to mention, no fear of the consequences of violating such laws. Scary thought. As for the Gnostics of John's day, the minimization of sin was promoted because of their faulty view of the spiritual man compared to the natural man. That all stemmed from their denial and rejection of Christ's humanity. As for us, we see this in similar but different forms. The contradiction of lawlessness refuses to obey God's laws in order to appease one's guilty conscience. As for the sin of lust, how many of us have heard it's okay to look, just don't touch. As for the sin of lying, how many of us have heard of the oxymoron, a white lie? Yet, James chapter 2, verse 10, reminds us whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of the entire law. What's more, how many of us lose sight of the contradiction that sin and faith only contradict one another in the area of practicing, doing sin? <clears throat> James is going to help us out in that misunderstanding as well. And <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 17, which reads, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So even more than the act of committing sin is the thought of knowing what to do and not doing it, which is commonly referred to sins of omission, not just sins of commission. Simply said, a life of lawlessness and true Christian faith are completely incongruent with one another. It's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. Why is that the case? For the sake of John's focus here, look again at verse 5. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. In the same way that John affirmed what these believers knew, God's word affirms for you as well if you are in Christ as a believer. You know he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him 
There is no sins. Is this not what we've celebrated even this week? That he appeared to take away sins in his first coming. Lawlessness is a contradiction to the Christian faith because Christ eliminated sin, positionally speaking, for his people. However, we all know that practically speaking, we still wrestle with sin daily and struggle with it. Nevertheless, God sees us, positionally speaking, as white as snow. Eliminated, positionally speaking. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Regarding John's context, Christ is the perfect advocate, as we examined in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He made propitiation for you as a believer. He removed the wrath that we all deserve. Perfectly. Specifically and with purpose for you. What's more, God's, or should I say lawlessness, is a contradiction of faith because in him there is no sin. In chapter 1, verse 5, we saw that God is light. In chapter 3, verse 3, we saw that God is pure. In Christ, there is nothing That would call fall in line with sin. He directly opposes sin. Christ is the truth. And all that is in him opposes sin. Moreover, look at verse 6. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, right away, if you have an NASB... And that's what I'm reading from, which is a more literal translation of the text. We need to address what seems to be an issue. What is John saying here? No one who abides in him sins, but yet I've just continued to say that we all struggle and wrestle with sin on a regular daily basis. Really, the answer is fairly simple and grammatical in the original text. These are present tense verbs. Both communicating the fact that this is ongoing practice of sin. It's about consistently walking in the dark. Not stumbling in the dark. Which we are all guilty of at times. And that said, what about this word abide and all that it entails? We've discussed it at great length throughout this passage. John has an affinity for it, uses it throughout this letter quite often and in his gospel as well. Here, once again, its usage helps to define this line of contradiction that is impossible to erase. Lawlessness is not a practice of the Christian faith because the believer abides in Christ. And Jesus referred to this responsibility, a man's responsibility to abide in Christ. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, he said, Abide in me as I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is our responsibility. We fully understand it as believers walking in the light. We embrace it. We want to bear fruit. We want to practice righteousness. We want to abide in him. What's more, within this letter, we've also seen in chapter 2 how the word of God abides in the believer. Now, as we unpack that in that passage, we saw how, of course, that involves man's responsibility concerning the word of God, but we also looked at the fact that this wholeheartedly involves God's sovereignty as well. What God began in you, you know the verse, Philippians 1 verse 6, he will certainly bring to completion. And that does not just mean his salvation, but your sanctification and your future glorification as well. The word of God abides in you, brother and sister in Christ. Therefore, you cannot help but abide in him never taking for granted our responsibility from a man's perspective to do so. For the churches of Asia Minor, they could find confidence and resolve to overcome because of their impossibility for them not to abide. Once again, never taking for granted their responsibility to do so. What's more, for those who did not do so, They clearly demonstrated that they had never seen or known him, as the verse indicates. So, before we move to our second contradiction, let's consider just one of our points of application. The first one, would these certain realities drive us as believers born again in Christ not to minimize sin in any way. Sins of commission or sins of omission. When Jim read for us or prayed for us this morning, he even discussed the fact as we think ahead to 2022, how are we growing in Christ? Might I add, how are we growing in holiness? Do we hate sin? Do we despise it? Do we despise any area of our lives that reflects a contradiction of what we believe and what we practice. Christ died that we might die to sin, that we might strive to live without contradiction. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 24 reads, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Likewise, let us never forget as a means of motivation that apart from the grace of God, each and every one of us were once a contradiction of lawlessness. Openly defying God's laws and yet... 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, 
For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. If we're in Christ, we cannot and will not habitually and openly defy Christ. Notwithstanding, each and every one of us are keenly aware of our propensity at times, and that's the key phrase, to do so, to live a life of contradiction at times, not practicing it though. Brother and sister in Christ, I want you to know as you consider that point of application, there is no condemnation. We need to remind ourselves of that to those that are in Christ. Positionally speaking, as we stated, Christ sees you as white as snow. You have been redeemed and rescued from the bondage of sin. We discussed that last week in a son's inheritance at just the right time. Christ came to redeem and set you free. However, because you do abide in him, is there anything in your life, in my life, that needs repentance even today? Would you hate sin enough? Would you hate contradiction enough to turn to Christ and seek his forgiveness. Not for the salvation of your soul, which is already bought and paid for. But for the sin that at times besets us. As this book reminds us, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Our second contradiction is number two, the contradiction of deception. Deception. We'll see this in verses seven and eight. As you look again at verse seven, and we've seen this time and time again, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And it is a good reminder for us all when we consider how we speak truth to those in whom we contact, come in contact with. John communicates here as, as a seasoned pastor in the midst of this direct, bold, black and white conversation. He says, beloved, dear friends, we'd all be wise to remember that when we're speaking truth, to do so with compassion and tenderness and love, not to pound them over the head with truth, but to lovingly see certain things addressed. That said, John does not shy away from truth as well, as we've seen throughout. Here, he actually commands them, and this is the only command in the passage, but he says, make sure no one deceives you. He's commanding them here. 
all the while saying, dear friends, my beloved, make sure no one deceives you. And we just looked at lawlessness as being open and defiant in its rebellion. It's within that open rebellion and pride where deception comes into play as well. Within Asia Minor, the pride and rebellion of a higher knowledge outside of Scripture was a virus that John was certainly concerned with addressing, so much so that he issues this command for them to be on guard. Make sure, don't be deceived. As if he's saying, my friends, my dear friends, I implore you, don't fall into this trap. And as we alluded to in chapter 2, he spoke of being deceived there too as well, but that was in, in regards to theological contradictions. Once again, as we stated, now he's focused more on the morality that's involved here and the deception that is taking place. The one who practices righteousness, as the verse states, is righteous just as he is righteous. In chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, we, we read that the believer walks in the light. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, he keeps the word. In chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, he practices self-love. His life cannot be a contradiction. A practice of contradiction is the key. All of these challenges of walking in the light, keeping the word, practicing self-love, all of them reiterate the themes of assurance that we looked in the introductory message. He who is righteous has a proper belief. He who is righteous practices willful obedience, and he who is righteous practices selfless love. Although, look with me at verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Wow. Now, it might be easy for us to say that someone who practices sin is not walking with the Lord. But to say he's of the devil? Harsh words and deeds. But my friends, remember our second point of application. We cannot allow our emotions to cloud what Scripture actually teaches. Faith without works is a contradiction of faith. And to believe anything different is a lie from the devil himself. God's Word says, do not be deceived. Paul described it as such. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, In which you, that's us, if you are in Christ as a believer, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's each and every one of us. Apart from the grace of God, we formerly walked according to the prince of the power 
of the air, Satan himself. In that same passage, Paul says that we continually pursued the lusts of our flesh. Deception is in the heart of the father of lies himself. What's more, it's in the heart of those who walk according to him. All of us in our previous lives, apart from the grace of God, can and should be able to attest to this former way of life, emphasizing former to my brothers and sisters in Christ. What's more, John goes on to write in this verse, the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now this is clearly a reference to Satan and his deception in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. We'll see ne- um, in two weeks, because next week, as I stated, will be communion, but when we return to 1 John in two weeks, we'll see in verse 12, John make reference to Cain and Abel, which continues to illustrate this fact of this connection of Genesis chapter 3 with where he's at right now. Notwithstanding, all the con- although the contradiction of deception originated in the beginning and still serves as a great threat to the church. Obviously, it was a threat to the churches of Asia Minor. John says, don't be deceived. Still a threat for us here today. Even though that is the case, there's a divine reason to be at peace, to hate sin, And to boldly live with a line of demarcation, if you will, in place. Between sin and lawlessness and true saving faith. John reminds them in the verse. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. Once again. Is this not what we celebrated in this week, in this Christmas week? And why the birth of Christ took place? Yes, the fall of man and the deception that took place in Genesis chapter 3 created a curse for all of mankind. However, it's within that same chapter of Genesis chapter 3 where God identifies a future destruction of the devil's work. A destruction of the entirety of sin's influence on his people. And John would have known that these believers would have made this connection. And I'm going to share a fancy word with you, but I'll define it. Often referred to as the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God speaking to the serpent said this, and you'll know it, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The first gospel In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, a prophecy of the future destruction of sin's influence in its entirety upon God's people. Christ shall bruise the serpent on his head. 
as we just mentioned, this gives us great reason for peace. That said, though, the threat is still real. Many of men justify their immorality as if there are categories or degrees of sin. I'm not that bad. I look, but I will never touch. It's just a white lie. Similar to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they walk around as if their righteousness depends upon man's standard. Unfortunately, though, all men will know one day that unless they repent of their sins and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will find that their standard is perfection. A standard in which we all know we fall miserably short. A standard in which was only accomplished by Christ himself. The perfect sacrifice for sin. What's more, this contradiction of deception doesn't only apply to the blatantly immoral people. Many of men justify their unbelief because they feel as though they are good in and of themselves. Listen, we all have friends and even family members where that's the case. They are good people who we love and care about. Precious people that from the world's standards are good. But it's not about the world's standards. For those people, they would claim that they don't need Christ because they are a good person. For those people, this is a lie from the pit of hell. A lie that perpetrates the reality of their inherent selfish motivations behind it all. Motivations that they choose to suppress because they desire to live according to their standards. If perhaps there's one here today falls into either of these examples, please, friend, beware the contradiction of deception. All of us fall short of the glory of God and are in need of his saving grace. You know what you must do if you are here today. Finally, before we move to our final contradiction, for my believing friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, once again, beware the deception that sin or lawlessness can be categorized or minimized based on one's conscience. It mattered from the beginning, and it will continue to matter immensely to God. 
Would we be willing to confront ourselves in any area of life that even hints of a contradiction at times? To confront ourselves, to be transparent, to be vulnerable, first and foremost with God, who sees and knows everything, perhaps with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In our third contradiction, the language is so strong, and matter of fact, it leaves absolutely no room for ambiguity. And that's number three, the contradiction of the devil. Found in these last two verses, 9 and 10. Before John closes out this section, in verse 9, he assures believers why, once again, they cannot practice sin. Keyword. Commit lawlessness, ongoing, as a matter of life practice. As you glance at verse 9, There's a couple points for us to address here in establishing this hard line of distinction between truth and contradiction. The first relates to the references of being born again. You'll see it mentioned two times. Born of God, he says, two times. Both of these verbs carry two very significant grammatical points of emphasis. Now, we've mentioned this before. But this is a tense that relates to what was complete in the past, which continues to bring forth ongoing benefits. What's more? And this is massive. They're both in what's called the passive voice. We've described this before. Let me explain it to you again. It's crucial for us in understanding why we cannot and will not practice sin. The passive voice in Greek grammar indicates that the subject here, the believer, receives the action being born of God. We receive this action of being born of God. No one who was born of God is of the devil. Why? And this is the great affirming truth. Because God has supernaturally regenerated your stubborn, stony heart into flesh by His sovereign grace. What God began in you, He will bring to completion. This is a great grace that leaves no room for potentiality or failure. But only his perfect plan of salvation for you, his sanctification for you, and his future glorification for you. It is certain, concrete, written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, as Revelation speaks to. John referenced it as such in chapter 1 of his gospel, verse 13. 
He said, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. None of us were born out of the will of man, but of God. James describes it as such in his his epistle, chapter 1, verse 18. In the exercise of his will, his will, he brought us forth. By the word of truth, he brought you forth. You were born of God by his will. Therefore, we cannot and will not practice sin. If that were not enough to see the impossibility of a believer practicing a contradiction of life, the second point in this verse should certainly help. John says that no one born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. Remember, just a couple verses earlier, what John encouraged these believers in. Look back in chapter 2, verse 27. The contextual connection here is simply magnificent. 2.27, he says, As for you, The anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. In that section, many of you might recall as we examined it, John was referring to the illuminating work of the Spirit upon his word. In a believer's life. And that said, listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, as we connect the dots of the divinely inspired word of God. We read in that passage, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. The seed which abides in the believer, given John's context and scripture as a whole, pertains to the Holy Spirit and the word itself. It abides in you, brother or sister in Christ. The third person of the triune Godhead and the word of God itself, which birthed your soul. Those of us that are in Christ, as Paul would say, are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A great promise, a great truth of confidence and resolve for us all. What about those strong and final matter-of-fact words, though, that leave no room for uncertainty concerning the contradiction of faith? Look at verse 10 as we draw to a close. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love one another. Now, Earlier we stated it might be difficult to say that someone is of the devil. 
How about the title, The Child of the Devil? A little bit more harsh, I would say. This passage of Scripture, and many throughout Scripture as well, should put to rest any watered-down idea of universal fatherhood that the world likes to espouse. The Bible knows nothing of a statement that says we are all God's children, unbeliever and believer alike. John says there are children of the devil and children of God. Not to mention, he says, they're clearly obvious. They're clearly revealed. There's no uncertainty in this line of distinction. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he communicated this contradiction of the devil as such. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. We've been there, have we not? Praise God, we are no longer there. Those of us that are in Christ. And then finally, John has previously mentioned the importance of love throughout this letter. He'll continue to do so throughout. At the end of this verse 10, you can see he sets the stage for a deeper focus to come centered upon love. And we'll get there in two weeks. This verse 10 is sort of a theme verse for this passage. And then he sets the stage for where I'm going next concerning love. And that will be our next passage once again in two weeks because of communion next week. All that to say, the absence of willful obedience, proper belief, or selfless love have and will always continue to be examples of a life of contradiction, a contradiction of faith. Notwithstanding, allow me to offer one final thought on application. Several times we've looked at that first point and how a passage such as this should drive us to hate contradiction even more, to hate sin, understanding we are no longer under the condemnation of God, but yet we desire to be holy as he is holy. But I've only mentioned the second point of application one other time. Let me finish on that one. What about our proclivity? To minimize the contradiction of faith within people we care about. Near and dear to our hearts. Family, friends, loved ones. I've seen it time and time again. Myself being tempted in this area as well. We want to think of people we care about spending eternity with us in heaven. And yet, some exemplify nothing but a life of contradiction of faith. God's word reminds us, do not be deceived. Are we holding to a false sense of hope and security? 
for those people whom we care about, while their lives manifest nothing of the fruit of the Spirit? Their lives manifest a contradiction of faith? Do not be deceived. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. Maybe, just maybe, as a final point of application, God is calling you today. If discernment dictates so, to challenge them in a spirit of compassion and tenderness and love but in a spirit of truth. Children of God practice righteousness. Children of the devil practice sin. I love you. My friend, my son, my daughter. Once again, I said if discernment dictates so, that's between you and the Holy Spirit and whatever God is doing in your life right now. But I promise you, if we look and reflect upon the truths of Scripture in this manner, there will be times when God opens the door for us to speak truth in love to people who we care about, who are not walking in the light, who are not practicing righteousness. God desires that of us, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be sharers of good news. For God's glory and hopes that they might be, if not truly born of God. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, each and every one of us that understand the weight of sin that has been removed off of our backs. Rejoice and worship in the reality that you and your word abide in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have bought and redeemed us. That you have paid the price in order that we might be set free. In order that we might be given the privilege to live in holiness, to walk in the light. Lord, help us to be obedient in any area of life that you are calling to our attention here today. Whether it be areas at times that we practice contradiction, or whether it may be even the opportunity to share Christ in truth and love with those in whom we are concerned for. And oh God, if there be anyone here today who is living a life of contradiction, grounded outside of where the only place that knowledge and wisdom comes from, the fear of the Lord in Christ. Lord, would you draw them by your grace even here today? If there is anyone here under the sound of this voice, Lord, now I'm speaking to you, O sinner. Turn from your sin before it's too late. A day of judgment is coming for us all. 
And it won't go well with you unless you repent and receive this wonderful gift of salvation offered in Christ our Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand for our